I want to echo what Pastor Dean said. It was a great job you guys did up there leading worship. I know I've led worship before, and that's not always easy. So thanks a lot, guys. Um, Let's go ahead and pray. God, thank you for giving us your word. Um, Thank you for being awesome. And I just pray that as we come uh, today to learn from your word, that you would touch each heart, touch each mind in here, prepare each heart for your word to go out, uh, to not return void, God, but to accomplish what you want it to in each life. God, I pray that this would not just be a study where we say that was a great sermon, that was a great message, I really like that story, but that we would go home and the lives would actually be changed. Because without any of that, God, this is all in vain. And we thank you um, for the promise that your word will be active and it will change lives. I just pray that um, you prepare each heart in here now uh, for this message. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Uh, let's open up to Genesis chapter 22. We're going to start in verse 1. Over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at the concept of uh, sacrifice. I'm going to look at a couple of stories of sacrifice, of people who have sacrificed. Um, And then Andrew Kress, he's never spoken here before. He's going to uh, come and he's going to give a message on Romans 12, the concept of a living sacrifice, kind of to uh, cap it all off. Um, Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here am I. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose, and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes, and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship, and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, 
As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply the sand, multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Because why? Because you have obeyed my voice. We're going to look here just in three quick parts. First, we're going to look at the test. We're going to look at what God called Abraham to do. Any of you who have heard me preach for any length of time here know that I believe that context is one of the most important things to interpreting a passage of Scripture. We have to look at what is the surrounding setting, what is the backstory, what do the words mean. We have to look at who these people are and what they mean. So, before we find out exactly what this meant, exactly how difficult this test was, we kind of have to see who Isaac was, how important Isaac was to Abraham. You see, I have a son. I have a little son, Emmett. And I've, spent, I've been on vacation all week. That's why I'm, I'm not shaved and I'm wearing sandals. I look like a, uh, like a hip Calvary Chapel pastor or something. And um, uh, next week I'll be back to my normal self. But uh, I've been on vacation, so I've been hanging out with my little boy. And I just love my little boy. And, and on uh, Friday, on New Year's Day, he was sick. We had to take him to the hospital. He was throwing up and he just had the flu and it wasn't doing very well. He wasn't taking it very well. He's better now. He's resting at home. But I was scared that I was going to lose my little boy. And it was just devastating. And we can see in the passage that Abraham loved Isaac that way. It says, the, 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 your only son, the son that you love. Right now, at least for the next four or five months, uh, Emmett is my only son. And, and I just love him so dearly. And um, I just can't understand how hard it would be to lose my only boy. And yet it was even more difficult, as we're going to see. Let's go back a little earlier. Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17, verses 15 through 21. A lot of flipping around today. You guys brought your Bibles. We're going to see what the importance of Isaac was. Because I'm going to show you that... To Abraham, Isaac was more than just a son that he loved. To me, it would be absolutely devastating if I lost Emmett, but it would be harder for Abraham to lose Isaac. Verse 15 of uh, Genesis 17, And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Okay, so the promise is that Abraham's wife, Sarah, would bear a son. And from that son would come kings and whole nations, millions and millions of people. Verse 17, Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No. But Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him, and I will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But, verse 21, 
but I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. So Sarah was barren. She wasn't having any kids. And God promises, she will have a son. You will name him Isaac. And from him will come my chosen people. I will establish my covenant with Isaac. Before Isaac was born, God chose him to put his grace and his favor upon. God selected him. God elected him to put his favor and his grace upon. So when Abraham went to go put Isaac on the altar to sacrifice his only son as as God had made it seem that He wanted him to do. He wasn't just putting His Son on there, just the flesh and blood relative that He loved, which would be hard enough in and of itself. He was putting the very person through whom the promise was to come, through whom the nation was to come, through whom Jesus was to come. Can you imagine all His hopes and all His dreams, the entire covenant, the whole promise of God? He's probably thinking to Himself, but you promised, and now you want me to kill Him? Everything that he believed in, everything that he loved, everything that he desired was on that altar. He was asked to end not only his own son's life with his own hand, but the promise of God. You see, when he put that boy on the altar, he probably thought, everything's done, I have nothing left. This is all I have, Isaac, right here. Because Isaac was the one that the covenant was to be made with. All throughout Scripture, we see men who were called, men who have been called to put, to men who have been called to test their love for God. God has tested people by putting the thing that they love the most up against Him, up against God, to see whom they will choose. Maybe God has done this to you as a Christian. Maybe God has challenged you to give up something that you love. Maybe it's your car. Maybe it's your big screen TV. Maybe it's your home, maybe it's your comfort, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's having to leave a friend because that friend is dragging you down in your Christian life. And God wants to see who's more important. So at this point, God never intended for Abraham to actually kill his son because that's not how God operated. You see, all the idols of the the day, all the false gods, they would ask them to sacrifice their kids and sacrifice little babies to them. God wasn't like that. So when Abraham hears this, he's thinking, what, is this just another false god? Is this just another idol that's asking me to to sacrifice my kid? But he trusted God so much that he went ahead and did it. God may ask you to give up something that you love because God is more valuable than that. God is more worthy than that. Jesus Christ is the most valuable, most worthy being in all of creation. Nothing you have, none of your friends, none of your family can ever be as valuable as Jesus Christ. We can look to men like Noah, men who were asked to give up their entire social life, spent 120 years building an ark and when people were calling him stupid and crazy because he was sitting there building a, building a boat in the middle of the desert. God called him and said, Abraham, Noah, I want you to build this boat. This is what I'm going to do. And, and Abraham had nothing but a promise. Now, if I had to build a boat for like a year or maybe two years, I would think, this is dumb. This is crazy. What the heck am I doing? But Noah spent... 120 years building this boat as everybody walked by and mocked him and laughed and he preached to all these people asking them to come on the boat and nobody believed him except his family in the end the only people that got on the on the boat were Noah and his family so he sacrificed 120 years of his life to trust God but Noah felt that God was more valuable sometimes God will test you 
to see if He is more valuable than that other prized thing, than that other prized person in your life. When that time comes, will you be able to choose Jesus? Will you be able to follow Jesus? Jesus speaks to this, Matthew 10, 34-37. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. This is Matthew 10, uh, 34-37. Verse 36, And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me, is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Let's go down to verse 39. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And it's kind of a weird phrase. A lot of times we see the, the bobblehead Jesus, right? the little uh, uh, Jesus that, that's so gentle and nice and he says, love your family and love your mom and love your dad and be happy to everybody, um, you know, drive a hybrid car or whatever. Um, that's kind of the, 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 the popular Jesus of our day that people think that he was. But Jesus said, I have come to bring a sword. I didn't come to bring peace on earth immediately. I came to see who was more valuable, me or your family. Amen. You see, in closed countries, in countries where the gospel isn't welcome, or maybe even in just a family, like a Muslim family or a Mormon family, if you choose to become a Christian, if you choose to follow Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, you're giving up your entire family. You're giving up your entire culture, your entire safety net, everything that you've ever known, maybe even your job. A lot of us in here love our families, but in America, family isn't always the number one thing. People can have money or cars or, or houses and not have family. But in other countries, family is everything. That's your whole security, your whole job, your whole life. I'm going to read a story from uh, uh, the Voice of the Martyrs. This is from November 14th of this year. On November 14th, the body of a 23-year-old Christian convert, I'm not going to try to pronounce his name, um, Yusuf is his last name. Yusuf was discovered in Mogadishu's Yakshid district. I hope I didn't screw that up too much. According to uh, Compass Direct News. On October 28th, members of Al-Shabaab, an Islamic extremist group, detained Yusuf and searched his home for Christian materials. A 15-year-old Muslim boy had accused Yusuf of trying to convert him to Christianity. In an attempt to gain evidence against Yusuf and to gain information about other Somali Christians, the extremists knocked out all of Yusuf's front teeth and broke several of his fingers. Then they shot him twice in the head and dumped his body on an empty residential street. Since it is unknown whether Yusuf revealed information about other Christians during his torture, the underground Christians who knew him have relocated for their safety. Yusuf's Muslim family members are also in danger, as extremists have accused them of failing to report his conversion to Christianity. You see, a lot of times in American culture, we think of becoming a Christian, of following Jesus, as you, you've just added a label to yourself. Oh, now I'm a Christian, so now I put a bumper sticker on my car. And now I carry a Bible around sometimes. Now I go to church on Sunday. Now I can't watch NFL football. I have to go record it on the TiVo and then go watch it when I get home. That's the biggest sacrifice you make. But in Somalia, it means two bullets to the head and your body's in a gutter somewhere for oh, two weeks until people find it. And now your family has to move because um, they're trying to persecute them too. And now your entire church has to move because they, they're looking for them too. You see, 
That's a real sacrifice to follow Christ. I'm not saying that all of us have to get two bullets to our head in order to be truly sacrificial to Christ. But it's something to think about the next time that Jesus challenges you to give something up. This guy was willing to give up his entire life. Just a kid, 23 years old. I turn 23 next week. He was my age and he got shot just for being a Christian. That's true sacrifice. Now, who did Yusuf love more? Did he love his life? Did he love his family more? Or did he love Jesus Christ more? He loved Jesus Christ more than his family. You see, Jesus set that family against each other because he chose to follow Christ. In the same way God tested Abraham, he asked him whether his hopes, his dreams, his son, his own flesh and blood were more important than Jesus, than God. Let's see what Abraham's response was. Number two, we just looked at the test. Number two, the surrender. We all kind of know the story. Abraham goes, puts Isaac on the altar. He's about to, to follow through with it. And the angel stays his hand and says, no, this isn't the plan for you. We just wanted to see if you were going to follow through with it. But I want to look at the details of the story. Because in the details, we really see Abraham's heart. We really see his attitude. Let's go back to Genesis 22. Uh, Verse 1, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and what was Abraham's response? Here am I, right? Here am I. The contrast that I thought of when I read this is in uh, in Genesis, was it Genesis 3, Genesis 4, when God is looking for um, Adam, and he says, Adam, where are you? And Adam's hiding. Right, because, because Adam wasn't willing to do God's will, because Adam had broken the will of God. Adam wasn't making himself available to God. Adam was ashamed. Abraham is opposed to that. Abraham says, here am I. A- Abraham puts himself at the mercy of God's will. Abraham doesn't know what God's going to do. Abraham knows that God is all-powerful and can do whatever he wants. Abraham says, here am I. This sentiment is echoed by Isaiah in Isaiah 6, 8. And I heard, Isaiah says this, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. Abraham, or I'm sorry, Isaiah stood ready before the Lord just as Abraham did a thousand years before. Throughout the Bible, you see that the people that God used to change history are the people who said, Here am I. And the people who said, I'm ready to do your will. Is this us this morning? Are you there this morning? If God says, if the Spirit whispers to you to talk to that coworker about Jesus, to present the gospel to that classmate of yours, what's your response? Are you going to hide like Adam or are you going to say, here am I, like Abraham did? Let's go back, Genesis 22, verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God told him. You know what I love about Abraham in this story? Is that Abraham didn't drag his feet. Abraham didn't complain. We just look back at Abraham or at Genesis 17 where Abraham laughed at God for God's promise. Uh, Abraham's attitude has changed a little bit. Abraham gets up early in the morning. Now, I don't know about you guys. I am not a morning person. I had an energy drink on the way over here because I woke up at 10 o'clock and, it, and it, it's ugly, okay? Now, now when, Abraham, when Abraham got up that early in the morning, I mean, I actually took a job at, as, as a delivery driver uh, three years ago. 
And I had to start getting, uh, up to this point I was in college for a couple years, so I was getting up at 9.05 for a chapel that started at 9 and, and running down the hill to the chapel. I mean, that was, that was the earliest I had to get up, was 9.05. So I had to get up at 4.55 to, to make it to work by 6. And it was horrible. My wife had to, she would pull the covers off me, she would push me off the bed, and I'd be lying on the floor just sleeping. Um, she had to make coffee and, you know, pour it into my mouth, and then I'd kind of get up. I'm not even awake until the sun's up and I've had two cups of coffee. Okay, so Abraham got up early in the morning. And, and the point here is that you have to be disciplined. If you get up early in the morning, you're on a mission. You're doing something. You're going to work or you're, maybe you're a farmer and you have to get up early to, to uh, do all the farm work. Um, Abraham was on a mission. Abraham was disciplined. He was determined to go. Okay, so Abraham had discipline. He wasn't just kind of dragging his feet, just doing the will of God. All right, I'll go. I'll get up when I'm ready and we'll go. He was up early. He was ready to go. How many of us can say the same? How many of us get up early to do God's will? Sometimes I'll wake up before my alarm goes off. I'll wake up early. And I can't say that all the time I listen to God's voice telling me to go read His Word. I can't say that I always listen to Him and and go pray. Matthew 6.33, Jesus commands us, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What do you seek first? Do you seek your will first? Is the first thing that you do in the morning to check your email, to check your your Facebook or your MySpace, to um, check your phone messages? Is the first thing that you do to to look to your own business interests, to your own uh, selfish interests, or is the first thing that you do to look for God's will? I can't say that I always seek God's will first. This is one of my greatest struggles. Any member of my family, they're not here today, or they'd probably be laughing right now, telling me, because uh, <laughs> they know that I can't get up early. Um, that's one of my greatest struggles. I can't say that I always seek the, the will of God first. What about you guys? Mark one thirty-five. This is what Jesus did. Rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, He departed and went out to a desolate place, and there He prayed. Jesus got up before sunrise to go pray, to be with God. I can't even think while it's still dark, and Jesus is praying. So Abraham surrendered himself to the will of God. Okay, God put the test out there. Abraham responded willingly. Abraham responded joyfully. Abraham responded immediately to God's will. All right, let's look at part three as we close up. So we looked at the test. We looked at what God asked Abraham to do. We looked at what Abraham did and the attitude that he had doing it. Now let's look at God's response. This is the blessing. This is the blessing that God had in response. Take a look at verse 16, Genesis 22. Here's what God says to Abraham. By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. You see, when Abraham acted in obedience, God responded with blessing. For those of us who are Christians in here, for those of us who have already received God's grace, who have already received God's undeserved favor, 
there is blessings and rewards in heaven for your obedience. You see, obedience isn't what we do to get favor with God. It's not what we do to become right before Him. That's all done through faith, already through Christ's sacrifice. But God has promised reward, and it's not wrong to desire that. It's not wrong to desire that reward. It's what Dean was reading in Malachi, that God has promised to reward those who obey Him, those who He has already chosen, those who have already had grace poured out upon them. Being obedient earns you no favor. It earns you no grace. It earns you no salvation from God. You see, Abraham was already chosen. Abraham was already saved. But because he was obedient in response to that salvation, God responded with blessing. My wife has been reading through the Pentateuch. She's been reading through the early uh, books of the Bible recently, and it's hilarious because she comes to me with these questions. And it, it really kind of sums up, it, it really sums up the point of the, of the Old Testament to me. The, the most common question she'll come to me with is, why is this person so dumb? She'll say, why did this person do this? Why is Abraham lying about his wife? Why, why, why did Noah get drunk in the tent? You know, who, who the heck are these people and why are, they, why, why are these the heroes of the Bible? You see, when you read that, you don't see those stories in the little, um, maybe we have some here, the, the little cartoon beginner's book Bible. You don't see the story of, of Noah passing out in the tent drunk naked. You don't see the story of, of Abraham lying about his wife Sarah and saying, oh, she's just my sister because he, he was scared that someone was going to attack them. Not trusting God in that. You don't see those stories, but when you actually read through the Bible, you see that these people weren't like heroes. These people were just ordinary people that were fallen, that were sinful, sometimes more sinful than other people, and yet God chose them. Yet God had grace upon them. So don't think that anything that Abraham did here was earning him favor, earning him righteousness before God. Some of the works-based religions, maybe we'll read something like this and say, oh, see, um, God responded with blessing. So maybe if we're obedient, God will, will just be nice to us and let us into heaven. That's not the point. These people were sinful. These people were, were a lot of times kind of dumb. But God had grace upon them. And they obeyed in response to that grace and as He changed their hearts. Let's just look at the, the three parts of the blessing real quick and we'll finish up. First, it was a certain blessing. We see that in verse 16 where God says, By myself I have sworn... How many of you guys have heard somebody say, I swear to God? Maybe you've said it yourself. <laughs> I swear to God, right? I mean, and we shouldn't say that, but the idea there is, I swear that until God ceases to exist, I will keep my promise. Unless God ceases to exist, I will keep my promise. Now, of course, God's never going to cease to exist, so it's kind of the, the, the biggest or most important thing you can swear by is God. That's why people say that, because God will never change. God will never end. So when God swears by himself, when God says, I, by myself I have sworn to keep this promise to you, what he's saying to Abraham is, because you have obeyed, I will give this blessing to you unless I stop existing, which will never happen. So this is, this is a, a strong, certain promise that God gives Abraham. This is the same certainty of the new covenant that we have. God will save us through Jesus Christ if we believe. And we don't need to worry about that ever fading away. That is a certain promise and a certain blessing. God will never cease to exist, so the promise will never fail. Second, it was a promise of abundance. It was a promise that His offspring would be abundant. His offspring, His whole family, 
would be prosperous and triumphant. It says that they would possess the gates of their enemies. Not that they would just be many and just kind of be this lowly nation, but they would triumph. That people would think they were great. And that's the whole story of the Old Testament. is God doing amazing things through Israel and in Israel and other people, other nations looking to that. Other nations being amazed at what the God of Israel is doing. And the third thing about this blessing is that it was a blessing for all the nations. This is absolutely unheard of. I know for us, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. or we, We're already kind of in that all nations mentality because we're in the new covenant. But for them, that was incredible. Every tribal God, every tribal deity promised blessing and promised um, good things for those who would obey them. Every false god, every idol said, uh, we'll, I'll give you blessing. They, that's why everybody worshipped these idols and false gods, because they thought they would bring the crops, they would bring the rain, they would bring the sun, they would uh, make them victorious in battle. That's why the Babylonians worshipped their false gods. That's why all the Philistines worshipped their false gods. Everybody worshipped their false gods because they thought they would bring them blessing. But no false god ever said, I will bless you so that you can bless all the nations. I will bless you so that I can bless all the nations through you. This is incredible. This, makes, this puts God above all these other false gods and shows Him to be the true God of all people. And that's the reason that we have salvation today. Ultimately, God had His sovereign plan. God's plan was not going to fail. But at the same time, on the other side of the coin, on, on, from our perspective, the only reason that we're in the covenant today is because Abraham was obedient to God. Abraham was obedient to God, and through that, God accomplished His plan. We're going to go ahead and close. Um, Ed, would you come up? I'm going to close a little differently today. If I can just have everybody stand. Just have everybody stand for the closing. We're going to pray. Um, I'm just going to give maybe just a minute of silence. We can pray silently to ourselves. What I want us to focus on is think of that thing that's most valuable to you. What's your Isaac? Maybe it's your plans for the future. Maybe it's something material that you possess. Maybe it's a family member. And think if Jesus Christ today were to ask you to give that thing up, to give up your love for that thing in order to love Him, would you do it? Let's prepare our hearts. Let's just spend about a minute in silence thinking about that. And then I'll go ahead and pray, and then Ed's going to close us with uh, Blessed Assurance.